Welcome to episode number 10 of Let's Talk Synth Seriously. In this podcast, you'll get detailed interviews with your favorite artists and other interesting people from the synthesizer-driven music scene. So if you're into genres like synthwave, retrowave, synthpop or related styles, this show is the right show for you. We're not talking much about 80s, 90s pop culture. We're talking gear, studio equipment, advices for producers from the artists themselves and also about developments in the scene. So if you're a synth music producer yourself or you're a dedicated fan of the featured artist, you don't want to miss this for sure. Today it's a talk between podcasters and it's a talk between synthwave artists as well. The tiny difference is that my guest has a show on Twitch, which means it's video, it's live, it's got many, many guests, it's got a live audience who's super active in the chat, and the whole thing is also run live. So wow, hats off in regard to that. But my guest today is also an influential synthwave artist and is super active as a solo artist and in countless collaborations as well. So I should really reveal now that we're talking about Daniel Barton alias Heartbeat Hero. And as always, before we dive in the interview, let's play some music. Here's Heartbeat Hero with his newest single, Neon Dreams. Thank you. 
Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the show. You're also known as Heartbeat Hero in the Sins scene. And we know your amazing video cast, Twitch TV show. And that's the first question. Is it called Heartbeat Hero Radio or Heartbeat Radio? Hey, Rainer. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's Heartbeat Hero Radio. Ah. Uh, I wanted to create a podcast that would feature artists from the synthwave scene and occasionally drop one of my tracks in there. And I felt that adding the radio to the name... Uh, kept it retro as as in the 80s. I always listened to the radio and uh, Heartbeat Heroes, of course, my artist name. And uh, that's a great way to brand my name with the Synthwave show. Very nice. When you opted for Heartbeat Hero Radio, why did you come up with a Twitch show? I mean, what was the original idea of having such a Twitch show? Well, Twitch is online. Yeah. Um, but it, but I'll let, we're going to go back a little bit. I used to host a webcomic show on YouTube. Ah. Now, and I would interview different comic artists. I listened to so many com comic podcasts back in the day, and I wanted to pro promote my own comic called Goober and Cindy. It was a slice of life webcomic about an alien and an eight-year-old girl <laughs> named Cindy. And I would use my family for ideas. And eventually, with the birth of my son, I added a character called Alex, um, who started out as a baby and got older as time went on. Uh, but after five years, I decided to stop with the comic and choose to focus on my music which I was always doing on the side next to the comic. Uh, I had been posting the SoundCloud since 2010, and I had so much music, uh, I had to pay for my SoundCloud account um, eventually because it, it, it met the upload limit of like six hours, uh, which also opened the opportunity to have unlimited uploads. And uh, I also noticed people were streaming on Twitch, and I thought that I should give that a try. So the first episode was just the back of my head, playing the tracks. Uh, the second episode, I got some co-hosts with me, Jefferson Rift and Synth Street, and each episode got technically better. Um, I started to write a script so I wouldn't lose my place. I would prepare for the interviews. I figured out how to show the guests on the show because first it was just audio. And uh, so each episode, I just kept on tweaking things. And the last uh -huh. episode, my tweak was adding a special sound after introducing the guests which I really liked, uh, that upgrade. Uh, so like, for instance, with you, I had the yodeling uh, later. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe we should explain that I was uh, in your show just a few days ago and uh, I was yes. introduced with a yodeling lady, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and it's always fun. I mean, we had a great set of people. Um, you asked if I could uh, invite Rogue FX. Right. Um, I, Actually, looking back, we should have uh, also invited Katie um, because she plays a big role in your music and uh, she would have had a great spot on that show mm -hmm. if she was available. <laughs> yeah, Katie is not really a part of the synth scene, but I mean, that was the actual reason why I invited her to work with me because I wanted a, um, a voice from the folk scene or let's say from the new folk, indie folk scene and so on. And so she switched a little bit into the synth scene and I, I think she likes it. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. That that's how she came over in the podcast, definitely. Yeah, great. You're in your podcast, <laughs> in, in this podcast, by the way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, you speak such amazing English. I mean, and you come from the Netherlands. Is it uh, that you have uh, an English background, or is it just that you Netherlands are used to, you know, TV and nothing is really dubbed? And like in Germany, we all get the movies dubbed with German um, subtext. Yeah, Germans have it hard. I mean, trying to learn English in Germany. I think it's, it's way more difficult than the Holland, but I was lucky enough to have 
an American dad who oh. was based in, in the Air Force uh, nearby the Netherlands uh, in Belgium, a little small little city. It was, it was near the border of Holland and in the Netherlands, and he met my mom there. And after three years, they moved back to the States. So I actually grew up in the 80s in the USA. So from 80 to 89, I grew up in the States and then came back here and then and learned Dutch again. Ah, that explains a lot. I mean, I thought you always get it from the movies in the Netherlands. And I thought, oh my God, I should definitely watch more English language movies. And then I get as great as Heartbeat Hero in English. <laughs> I definitely... Uh, appreciate how well the Dutch speak English. Yeah. I think it's because it's really similar in the way you pronounce things. Um, and plus, we don't dub anything over here. Yeah, the correct. country's just too small for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in Germany, they have like 60 or 70 a million people. And in Holland, we only have 17 million. I so think we are even 88 right now. 88, 88 million. Jeez, yeah. you're yeah. growing like, <laughs> like, like stuff. Yeah. That's gross. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we. I, I think it's tradition in Germany. I think they began like shortly after the Second World War. Everything that came from the US and from England was dubbed. And also, I've seen really an, some nice Netherlands uh, movies, like uh, those crazy movies from Alex van Warmadam. Do you know them? Alex from Dammedam? Alex never heard Alex of Alex. I do know... Van Warmadam. He's an absolutely uh, crazy director. I mean, he likes oh. to, to, for example, he has a natural forest, but that forest doesn't look very natural. It, it looks like uh, if it was built or something, it uh, as if it was a, a studio set, but it isn't. So he really likes to take um, natural landscapes, which absolutely don't look natural. And his oh. movies are completely crazy. I absolutely adore Alex van Warmadam. And I've never heard of him. Check this out. This is really cool stuff. <laughs> I have heard of Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Who did Robocop. Yeah, sure. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Showgirls and so on. We know and this. Showgirls. Yeah, right. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And Jan de Bond, does he also have a Netherlands background? Um, He's yes. With uh, but I Speed, can't... was it, right? Speed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speed. Yeah, that was an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, so the Holland's got some pretty talented um, directors, definitely. And now let's come back to another talented guy from the Netherlands, Heartbeat Hero, and speak about your show again. When you go online with your show, we see you in your studio. It all looks and feels so professional. And how long did it take you to have a really smoothly running setup for the show like that? So to this day, I upgrade the show. I purchase things like the NES, like props for, for in the background, or I'll steal plush toys from my son. I'm now up to three monitors. I started with one. I got two laptops. Uh, I would still like a fourth monitor because there's still not enough room for me to put all the screens uh, during the show. Uh, I, went, I went from Google Meets to Video Ninja. Mm -hmm. I upgraded my network. I bought a hardware compressor for my mic. I got two mixers, some LED lighting. So every day, every time I try to upgrade something, And also try not to wear the same thing every show, that, that so it feels fresh. And there are there must be lots of challenges, right? I mean, people will have very different mic audio. Uh, there will be the need for live DSing, which I think could be pretty challenging. And some 
people use the internal mic of their smartphone or computer. Others use professional mics. And uh, I believe that their signals will have substantially different loudness levels. So how do you manage all those challenges and that life? The DSing is a thing I haven't looked into yet. So there's another upgrade I could look for in the future. But the key uh, to it is editing the show for the audio version. The live version leaves me vulnerable to the audio version. Uh, but the audio version is beefed up by me. So also, uh, technology just keeps getting better. So eventually, I don't even think we're going to have to worry about it. I'm sure all the uh, the the webcam software is going to solve those problems for us mm -hmm. eventually. Uh, also, Video Ninja definitely helps out by letting uh, the director adjust the volume of the others. So you can make one person louder or one person softer. And there is a bug that sometimes happens. Uh, it happened to Rogue Effects, uh, unfortunately, on our show. But it wasn't so bad that I said anything, but it had like a slight um, uh, distortion every time he said something. So, mm -hmm. so those are the things I encounter making a show. Any other challenges? Uh, yes. I, I've like the internet went out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People have didn't show up. All right. <laughs> That's pretty challenging. <laughs> How often do, does that happen? I mean... Uh, not, not very often, but it, it has happened. I see. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. <laughs> so I'm so happy that I don't have to do this live, right? <laughs> I can do cutting and uh, pretend that I'm speaking proper English and so on. So that is absolutely uh, my luck. <laughs> so, so, so one trick what I do, it's not really a trick, but when, when I invite someone, I ask a friend of theirs to come along so they feel more obligated to come because they don't want to let their friend down. I mean, they can let me down, but letting a friend down, it's, it's, it's make, giving it more weight. Wow. So that's another t uh, trick you can do if you have multiple guests on the show uh, to make sure that they'll hold, hold up to the appointment. So that's was why you asked me to invite also Rogue FX. That's, that's right? one of the reasons. It, it's, it's a reason that works. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's great. It's even greater to have friends on the show because then you're Yeah, you're just going to feel more relaxed. Yeah, sure. It's going to feel more comfortable. Right. Yeah, wonderful. Many reasons. <laughs> yeah, what a great trick. And it's uh, also adding to the atmosphere, I could guess. Exactly. Yeah, cool. And speaking about your studio again, we also see some hardware on your desk. I mean, if you go over to Twitch and have a rewatch of one of your shows, you see something which looks like a CD player or even a VHS player mm -hmm. and something with knobs on it, which could be a rack mixer or compressor maybe. So is that just just for show or is it uh, something that you actually use, like you need that hardware in the process of the show? Yeah, there, there are definitely things you see here that are functioning. Uh, the, I think you mean with the CD player, it's uh, like, I don't know what the translation, it's a Versteriker, so it 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 beefs up the sound. You need that if, ah. if you have like these mm -hmm. big um, speakers, you need a, like a, a, a piece of equipment in between that uh, that beefs up the energy mm -hmm. of the music. So it's like a, a preamp? Like a preamp, yeah. yeah. So that that's the CD player what I think you uh, were referring to. I see. <laughs> Then I have the um, the VHS, uh, which uh, is only for aesthetics. Yeah. It, it does work, but it's not hooked up. And I, I like that uh, people are into that. So I also have uh, two Yamaha MG10X mixers. One is small and the other is huge. And probably one of my biggest upgrades as well for the show. Uh, it was like a really big deal to get get that big one. And uh, it has some nice sliders on it and some mute buttons. It's uh, really nice. Yeah, fantastic. I love it how professional you set this up. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, if you would 
see my setup here, it would be really um, not so <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's the way to start. I mean, uh, being well prepared, well, we'll definitely get back into that, but just, just being well prepared and just a laptop and uh, you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you do have like an audio, I don't even know what it's called. Like uh, it's not a mixer, but it's like an audio device separate from your computer, right? Yeah, sure. It's an audio interface. Exactly. Um, you, yeah. At least, you, yeah, you need to start with an audio interface and a microphone, of course, yeah. and a laptop. <laughs> That's all you need. That's how I started. Yeah, I mean, if I, if you do it like me and you cut afterwards, then you can, of course, um, adjust a lot of things at the cutting desk, right? Exactly. So we spoke a bit uh, about hardware, but which software do you use? You, we also we already spoke a bit about the Video Ninja, which I didn't mm -hmm. know before. Um, yeah, of course, I use uh, Video Ninja, which is for free. Um, Audacity I use uh, for editing. Mm -hmm. That's free. Then I use Premiere Pro. Uh, it's about $120. It's an old version uh, to edit the pre-show. And then an old version. So, so I sometimes I record stuff before uh, the show. So I have like a half an hour break. And that's what I use uh, for that. And then an older version of Photoshop to do the artwork for the show. I use uh, FUBAR for playing the music. Mm -hmm. And my friend Bokanoid, he made me a special template uh, so that you can see uh, the remaining time and the wave shape of the track. The, the wave oh. shape is invaluable because a lot of people submit uh, tracks with silence in the beginning and end. Ah, that's fantastic. Sucks. So that's the source where you get the information <laughs> when you tell your guests, ah, in yes. 20 seconds, get ready, yes. <laughs> stop <Yes>. talking, <laughs> so on. <laughs> so, and they never listen. They always continue talking until until I start talking. Absolutely, we did, we did. <laughs> so, and um, when you imagine that there's maybe someone out there and he says like, or she maybe, um, that you're doing a great job with his show and she or he also wants to have a Twitch show. Um, mm -hmm. What would you recommend? What would be your main technical advice to always consider before going online for the first time? So um, I have a friend called Cool Moe. Mm -hmm. And before he started the show, we talked about this. This was, he went to me and asked me my advice and I lovingly gave it to him. And anybody out there who has questions about this, just feel free to contact me through Instagram and I'll help you out. Oh, that's great. So, but test, test, test. I've tested two or three t times a day before the show starts. Almost every time something goes wrong. Passwords have expired. I've pressed a button somewhere I forgot. The audio's not linked up to the mixer. The webcams aren't working. OBS is crashing. Window updates are breaking the software. NDI not working, which means I can't stream the VJ loops while the the show was playing for the guests. Uh, just, yeah, just make sure you test everything five times at least before going live. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the sixth time it'll work perfectly. And also just prepare for the show, which you do marvelously. Uh, know what you want to talk about. Keep the listeners engaged and have good internet. That does help. <laughs> Not so easy to have it in Germany. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you know what they say about the German internet? Those horror stories no. are all right. <laughs> oh, no. Are, are, do you live like rurally or, or in a big city? Because I'm assuming if you live in the big city, then you're going to have better internet than if you're further away from the city. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of stories. And uh, also, if you live in a big city, it's not a guarantee to have good internet in oh. Germany, I would say. <laughs> but I'm not living in a big city. I'm living more on the countryside. Of course, over here, it's... That's even worse. Perhaps even worse. <laughs> 
and uh, we were promised to have um, how do you call it glass fiber fiber glass yeah. whatever you don't, fiber you don't have that yet uh-huh. and uh, we were promised to have this this year but I'm skeptical if they're gonna make it this year I watched a, a video on internet that had a guy in 1985 talking about glass fiber that they're going to convert everything yeah. <laughs> In 1985, it's 2023, right. and you're telling me yeah. in Germany, yeah. where you live, they still don't have glass fiber? That's, oh my God. Yeah, and I think it's large parts of Germany are only updated today. It's uh, oh. like last year or so they started the initiative. I think they really noticed while the COVID pandemic was going on and where mm-hmm. <laughs> like 80% of um, school pupils didn't have... <laughs> <laughs> proper internet connection at home and so on. So they realized so, they so finally actually, we've got to do something. <laughs> COVID helped in that way. I think I think so, yes. I think, yeah. yeah. Because it became really obvious that we are a, th- a third world country as far as it comes to internet. <laughs> I doubt that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking about your show again, I'm always so impressed about the sheer number of people uh, that are tuning in to your show. And um, we, we, I mean, we speak about the synthwave scene and it's such a niche genre. There's mm. still plenty of audience on your channel and those guys are super active in the chat and they are uh, really like feeling at home and it's just a good, such a good atmosphere. And uh, what I also found amazing, there are the small names like artists who have just begun and there are big names in the chat from really... Um, renowned artists and all gather in the audience of your show and they Mm. are it feels like a family it must have been a huge effort to gather such a broad audience wasn't it Uh, yes and uh, time has been my biggest asset being active in the synthwave scene since 2017 Mm -hmm. following artists for years commenting on their music and post building that network was just key and enjoying what i was doing so a lot of time went into that building of that network with those wonderful people. And uh, yeah, that that's like in the essence of it, what it takes to, to create a show like this. And what do you do pr- to promote your show? I mean, you're very active on Instagram and all the socials. Anything else? Yeah. I, well, you say all the socials. So it's Instagram, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, yeah. it's TikTok, oh, wow. <laughs> it's LinkedIn, it's YouTube. <laughs> so really being active on all platforms, that's really important. Uh-huh. Uh, Instagram is my favorite by far. Uh, so commenting on other people's posts on Instagram, just building that community. And uh, as promotion, I, I have uh, done some promos on Instagram that were paid. So I try that every out every once in a while, like if I release a new single or... Sure. But what I'm looking into for the future is, is also really promoting the show more. Yeah, I mean, the socials, you love them and you hate them, right? I mean, it's just necessary these days. But um, I know quite a few people who say, oh, if I would have one option, then I would say I, w- I would go away from the social media. I think mm. I'd really enjoy it, I must say, but I only enjoy Instagram and Facebook, really. And I'm not on Twitter, for example. And TikTok is just, I don't even know about TikTok. (laughs) But, um, well, (laughs) what what about you? Do you enjoy it? Or would you also say, ah, it's necessary, but if I wouldn't need to do it, I wouldn't do it? I love it. My wife, uh, on the other side, hates it. I see. (laughs) And we both need to promote. So I promote my show. She promotes her book. Mm -hmm. And she just hates it. So that's the ideal situation to promote the book of your wife. You know that. So go along. 
Oh, you mean that promote the book that she wrote? It's 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 in Dutch, so I'm I'm assuming not many people will be able to read it. So uh, well, why not? I mean, perhaps we also well, have Dutch listeners. Yeah, you can here. go check it out. You can go to her Instagram. It is Trodessa T R O D E S S A, and I think it's dot com or dot nl something like oh, that. Oh, fantastic! You You've just earned a hawk from your wife. <laughs> 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 I'm sure a lot of synthwavers already follow her. She's she's interviewed me on my show once, so. Uh, oh really? Oh, really didn't see that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of the most beautiful songs in Heartbeat Heroes ever must be for sure. I just can't wait. It's one of the comparatively rare examples where we can hear Heartbeat Hero also on vocals. When I researched his discography, I found this 2020 jam and I asked Daniel if we could play it on the episode. So here it is. I just can't wait by Heartbeat Hero. So beautiful. Voice and 
You also accept uh, sponsors for each show yes. and you are on Patreon as well. How mm -hmm. important is uh, that kind of sponsoring and would you, uh, what would someone need to expect when she or he wants to be in your, uh, your main sponsor for an episode? Yeah, so sponsoring is really important. Uh, sponsoring the show gets you a one-minute ad of anything you like in the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect opportunity for unknown artists to get known in the Synthwave community With around 1,300 views on average, uh, well, that'll give you some great exposure. And the show, if it does well, it'll get up to 4,000 views. So oh, wow. mm. uh, you can get really lucky with that. And uh, also, if you're a well-known artist, it reminds people you might have a new album or single out. Uh, or you can promote your retro t-shirt business or your podcast. Actually, just <laughs> anything you like. Because uh, the sponsor is really helping me to pay for the cost of the hardware in the studio mm -hmm. and, of course, the hosting on SoundCloud. And in this next phase, I want to uh, use the sponsor money to promote the show. So really put it in ads and get it out to a, a, a big, wider audience. Yeah, great idea. Mm -hmm. And eventually, I would love doing the show as a morning show every weekday as a full-time job. But that is a little bit of a dream I'm having. And... And, I, and yeah, we'll, we'll see if that ever happens. So I'd appreciate anyone going to patreon.com slash heartbeat hero and supporting me. Thank you. But what a fantastic <laughs> idea to start the day with Synthwave, right? That would be so that cool. That would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very nice. I would have to make a choice, though. I would like have to do a morning show for Europe and then maybe a morning show for um, the States or just repeat that one. I don't know yet. Yeah, well, it sounds fantastic. Definitely my support. Do it. So what was the craziest situation that you found yourself in when going live with a show? Yes, I mean, yes. th there must have been lots of strange situations because you gather so much folks from the scene around you and uh, just maybe you can tell a few anecdotes. So, well, I, I already told you I lost, I had a guest that lost the internet, mm -hmm. uh, which I actually always expect. So there's always a show, even if the artist loses their connection or is unable to show up. Um, I've had guests uh, or a guest who was late because their cat threw up. 
Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I lost the internet for 20 minutes. The show continued after I rebooted the modem, but luckily I have pretty good internet connection here. So that was like, that was probably one of the worst things. And when you're live with your show, everything can happen. Do you have something like an emergency plan or so? I mean, you could also have like a crazy guest who suddenly starts to show that he is a conspiracy theorist mm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he uses your show to spread all kinds of crap. What do you do then? Well, I definitely filter people out. So so if you're coming on the show, I've, I've got a pretty good idea who, who I'm having on. I see. <laughs> uh, but I, I, used to give, I used to give the people the script and the ability to, to edit it. But I stopped doing that because someone thought it would be funny to delete the whole script. And I did not appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, people don't really care about the script. They just want to show up carefree, go with the flow, yeah. have fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So never happens something like this. I mean, I'm calling myself UAP as a stage name. You could have thought I'm an ufologist or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, all these pyramids uh, under the Hoover Dam and so on. <laughs> <laughs> No, I've I've listened to your podcast. I know what you're like. I've had you on the show. It's uh it's, it's pretty clear cut. People 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 are pretty much who they are on social media. <laughs> okay. So, hopefully that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good reflection of who you are. Uh, social media just is like a mirror for yourself. Yeah, I think it's definitely rewarding to be authentic out there. I mean, people will just realize when you're not authentic and when you try to be somewhere else, someone else, I, I think people just realize, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are smart. So after speaking um, about your show so much, we should also reveal you're also a musician. <laughs> no. <laughs> And uh, so let's check out your musical site. Your first releases on Spotify, I've checked it, date back to... 2018 and so it seems like you're not the typical oh i started in the time of the pandemic kind of guy because i had so much time and so on you know there were quite a few artists yeah, um, who started were, in these I've years i've had them, a lot of them on the show yeah. um i'm assuming you haven't listened to my 300 plus songs on soundcloud <laughs> not really <laughs> so you must have started in 1985 or whenever <laughs> yeah 1994 but i'll get back oh, to that I mean, i'm the cool. guy that started before the pandemic and was very lucky to have the show during the pandemic because the numbers back then were way bigger than now ah, now i've eventually gotten back to the same numbers but uh there was a big dip uh, when everyone was able to socialize again mm -hmm. and And also the war in Ukraine had a big impact on the numbers of people listening. The numbers okay. dropped also when that happened. And what was the reason for that? Did, did uh, like, like Russia break off in your yeah, in audience? Yeah, it felt like Russian uh, listeners uh, stopped, stopped listening for a few months. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing this like uh, like your music, like 1994. I mean, I also began in that direction. I think I, my first songs date back from 1990 or so. And, and then I really started with in 1992. But I've uh, began to release and publish my songs only also, I think, during the pandemic. Do you really have these old tunes of yours um, all online at SoundCloud and available? I, I didn't yeah, check every, this. Everything since 2010 is on SoundCloud. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So see how great pre pre prepared I am for the interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I forgive you. I mean, it's a it's a big compilation of tracks, uh -huh. and uh, I mean, I mean, I'm grateful if you've even listened to a full track. <laughs> I'm happy with one track. As we have just learned, 
Heartbeat Hero is active since the early 90s as an artist of electronic music, so I have asked him if he could provide a super early example of what he did musically back in the day. He was brave enough to do that, which is not the case with all musicians I have on the show. But I must say that the track we are about to hear now is really impressive. It's from the previous century and it's called Innermost Desire. It's like uh, it's like it's like it, it, it brings your innermost desires to life.
And what was your first synthesizer then? Um, I think that the Roland Uno DI, which I have here, mm -hmm. uh, was my first synth. It was about 800 euros, and it's my only synth. Uh, I'm 95% a VST user. I did yeah. have a, mm -hmm. a MIDI keyboard before this, but uh, this is actually my one and only synth. But you didn't start in 1994 with a VST uh, setup. No, I, think I started composing in 1994 on the Amiga 500 and Pro ah, Tracker. I see, yeah. That's what, I mean, everyone listening now should also check episode two of this podcast when Gary from the Death Beats um, told his Amiga stories. Very interesting. And now I'm Ooh. curious on yours. Pro Tracker was also something that Gary uh, mentioned when he yeah. used it for drum and bass. Drum, well, there were there were like these, they, had, they made these demo demos on the Amiga. Right. They still have these d demo parties. Uh, Turbo Knight, who was on the show, mm -hmm. uh, was even competing in them uh, with music. They have music compos. They have demo compos where they do the graphic stuff. And um, so me and my friend always watched those demos on the Amiga 500. And we also had ProTracker. And we would, we would use the samples to create music. And back in those days, that was in the 90s, so hard style music like the Gabber and stuff was really in. So we tried to recreate that. And that was how you did come to music, or did you also have like I don't know piano lessons? Or I started on a home yeah, organ. Yeah, so uh, at at the age of eight, my neighbors had a piano, so I was I really enjoyed just making tunes on that piano, and I sang in the choir at school and sang at church. So there was a lot of music around me all all, all the time. Ah, uh, by the way, while I was uh, starting on a home organ, uh, was it also so popular in the Netherlands? I mean, in the Netherlands, we had one of the greatest organ manufacturers ever, which was Eminent. And Eminent, of course, is legend today. Um, mm -hmm. There are sampled uh, Eminents all uh, everywhere. And uh, was it also so popular in the Netherlands in the 80s, 90s? I have another friend who ha actually has more synthesizers than I do. Mm -hmm. he, he, But he... He, it's like he buys the synthesizers, but he never uses them. He like just finished his third <laughs> track a few days ago, and he and we're at it. We've been at it the same amount of time, and uh, his dad had like that like an organ at home, ah. and he, then he eventually upgraded it to a synthesizer. And every every few years, the dad his dad would like upgrade a system. So you need to grow up in a musical home, I guess, <laughs> and yeah, then... or have friends. Yeah. musical friends because actually at my place there was there was no music i mean oh, really? we, i mean mm -hmm. at school there was music and at, at church there was music but at, at our home there was never music and when did you discover synthwave and when did you discover that synthwave was the right genre for you well i got added in 2017 to a top 10 synthwave list mm -hmm. and then my numbers just went up I love listening to Synthwave and it all just fell into place at the same time. So that was th that moment that I got in that top 10 Synthwave list. That was that was it for me. And do you remember which uh, track this was? Yes, it, it's off my first album, uh, Synthwave Darkness to Light. Mm -hmm. And it is, I believe, the first track. Oh, and that so. is, I'm going to look it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's like six, seven albums ago. Yeah. Uh, Heartbeathero.bandcamp.com. Scroll down, Synthwave Darkness to Light. That was coming up, loading. Um, Staler with 
it was a remix. Uh, so uh, wow. the the track is called Social Crisis, and it's by Staler, and it's the Heartbeat Here remix. Wow, that's interesting because yeah. remixes are not so easy to um, c let's say communicate to curators. I think uh, you might be correct in that, but that's a <laughs> totally different subject. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already told us that you're more or less entirely producing in the box with plugins, no hardware at all, or just yeah. a MIDI keyboard, or your um, Roland. Um, What's the reason for not including any hardware? You know, I'm a hardware fan and I do lots of things with hardware. I like to do it. Um, do you just think it's like the easier setup or is it just, uh, is it something else? VSTs are cheaper. Now, ah, I would right. love sure. to buy hardware. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to buy the DX7 for 850 euros, the Moon <laughs> Grandmother, the Korg MS20, the Uno 106. And if I had more money, I would buy the Uno X or the Moog Matriarch. And if I have even more money, I would buy myself a Eurorack. But I just bought, uh, let's see, I bought Serum for like 190 euros. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. it's just more bang for my buck. Yeah, but I would also say there are a few underrated items, like, for example, the Yamaha SY55, which I really love. And I got it for a hundred bucks from Ooh. somebody next city or so. It was really, it still is really cheap. Also, the Ensonics, which I so love. I, I'm such an Ensonic fan and collector. You really see them for decent prices. I mean, there are um, exceptions from the rule, like the Fismo, which is just so rare, or uh, like the ESQ1. Those are expensive, but all the other and Sonic. <laughs> yeah, once, once you get expensive, you lost me. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, I mean, when the big bucks come rolling in, when I'm doing this as a day job, then then I'm gonna get those things. But <laughs> but just, I, I mean, I got a budget. All right, I see. We don't need to go on here. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are your favorite VSTs? You just mentioned Serum. Anything else? Um, favorite VSTs? Uh, Serum. I got. I think I got uh, Silence uh, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That was one of my first ones. I, I would say my favorite is uh, Repro Five. Ah, that is an amazing one. Okay. So, what do you like about it? Um, it's got that. It's got like a really natural keyboard feel to it mm. like really a 70s 80s sound to it um yeah it, it emulates uh i'm forgetting the name i didn't prepare this part of the show <laughs> 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 i'll have to get back to you on that but it, it's it sounds like a really uh, famous synthesizer oh the prophet ah okay it yeah. sounds a lot like the prophet prophet five yeah probably yeah mm. yeah um what i really like about your music is It actually manages to touch me emotionally. And that is something that uh, many retrowave and synthwave artists fail to do. It's so easy to um, over-quantize, over-produce um, something. And uh, some people in the scene like put their velocity always to a full level. And so it's always mm -hmm. the same kind of loudness and so on. And... Uh, Your tracks really sound very emotional and dedicated. On the other hand, may I say that I don't have the feeling like you are the one who is so super openly showing your emotions, at least not in your show, for example. So is music your favorite way of expressing emotions? Um, so my show is for the guests. And I think mm -hmm. that on the podcast, like this would be a place for all my emotions. Happiness and enthusiasm is something I hopefully do convey on my show, mm -hmm. but I try to keep the show upbeat and, and cater to the guests so they have a great experience. 
Now I do I I do try to pull off um, a bit of emotions at the beginning of the show. I try to reveal a bit, a bit about my personal life, and uh, it's not every episode, but once in a while I can share some personal information about my life. And also, I already mentioned my wife was on the show once, and uh, she helped me promote my new album, and uh, she interviewed me, and we had a blast. But uh, of course, I love to put my emotions in the music. Uh, the music triggers my emotions. The best tracks have literally raised the hair on my arms many times. Mm -hmm. And that for me is an indicator if, if the track is good or not. I think that my music not only gives me an emotional response, but also a physical response. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I can perfectly understand that. I would say that's absolutely right. And that is something that is also, I always feel it's like a therapy. You go to the studio, you start um, doing work on a track and you come out and you just feel better, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or sad. I've had both. Sure, sure. But it's also a way to process sadness. For example, I I mean, I can confess it here. I wrote a track when our cat died. <laughs> I never mm. released it, but I wrote a track mm. about it and I just felt better afterwards. That's the power of music. And yeah, it's definitely magic. Yeah, I also wrote a, a, a track uh, when my dad passed away mm -hmm. and also when we had a miscarriage. That was like a really All emotional right. track. So I've definitely used the, the, the power of music to um, yeah, release my emotions. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of your tracks are with vocals, but mostly it's all instrumental. What do you like about producing with vocals and what do you like in producing without vocals? It, it's hard for me to produce vocals. Mm -hmm. I'm well more equipped to make instrumentals. Uh, they're very practical. My family would not appreciate me singing late at night or early <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. They enjoy their sleep. Uh, I can always make instrumental. Nothing can hold me back from that. So hopefully in the future, there'll be more opportunities for me to create vocal-based tracks and grow in writing lyrics. I see. And when you say you're better equipped for instrumental tracks, it's only because you like to write your songs at night? Or would you also say it's uh, your technical equipment? Well, I would love to write songs during the day, but I, hmm. I need to make money. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, from time to time, maybe you've got some holiday. <laughs> Yeah, but then the kids and the wife want to do things. And <laughs> <laughs> Are you working in the music biz, by the way? I know. I'm, I'm a web developer uh, by profession. Ah, I see. So, I work wow. in the, in the, in the um, uh, insurance company. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it, it brings in the bucks and then I can make some music on the side. So let's talk um, further about music production. Your tracks, that's my impression, are really well produced. Um, how did you learn production? Did it only uh, did it just come along the way since 1994, or was it something that you, I did I don't know, you had a chorus or something? It was YouTube, a video yeah. by Avicii mm -hmm. and Martin Garrix on Music Radar Tech. Those were huge learning moments for me, I and see. of course a lot of trial and error, mm -hmm. and also better VSTs, figuring out the tricks of the trade like Vahala or side chaining. Yeah, those were things that really helped me uh, getting better in music. Mm -hmm. Um, YouTube has become so overcrowded of videos that give you all kinds of advices. And um, I think that if I imagine I would be a new buyer and uh, would just uh, have a look on YouTube, I would find all advices at once. And so um, would you say that it's too much these days? No, it's actually not enough. All right. I'm still mm -hmm. trying to find the video that's going to explain to me how to make some really cool chill wave. 
That's, <laughs> I, can't, I, I mean, they have a lot of videos, mm-hmm. but then you listen to the tracks and you're like, that's not what I want to make. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, Chill Wave is a mystery to me too, but I've definitely uh, come to the decision to not try something that doesn't come out of me naturally. <laughs> yeah, also you need to figure out that for yourself. I mean, in the beginning you start try, you try to imitate people, yeah. but eventually mm-hmm. you figure out that you want your own sound And your own sound is the sound that's going to make you happiest. So that's what you need to, to go after. Absolutely. And it will always be, I think, the most convincing thing because it just is you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and in the beginning, I was disappointed. I'm like, oh, another, more of this crap. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, w- while making it, I love it. But my like my the promotion side of myself wants to make this type of music but this is what comes out and then it's not lining up with what i want to promote and then <laughs> i know this feeling very well yeah. and it, how curious yeah. how how uh, how strange is it that we feel inferior by just producing yeah. the sound that we are capable of doing right it's uh, yeah. crazy it's, it, it's it's one of the uh, the evil sides of 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 wanting to promote your stuff i mean I think you would be the happiest just creating music for yourself. Mm-hmm. But there is a big side of me that wants to get bigger and and just have more people listen to my music. So promoting is a big part of that. Yeah, I can totally feel you. In 2018, Heartbeat Hero had his actual start in the synthwave scene. The first track in that direction seems to be a remix of the song Social Crisis by Staler. And that's what we're gonna hear now. The Heartbeat Hero remix of Staler's awesome track Social Crisis.
So you've done quite a number of collaborations. That's mm. the next topic. How do you choose which uh, with which artists you want to work or is it the other way around and that people address you if you want to work with them? Well, it actually just goes both ways. I ask people, people ask me, mm -hmm. I get rejected all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've lately had to push back on the collabs because I did a lot of remix collabs which took me a lot more time in promo than I thought I would. So it kind of burnt me out. And just so you know, if you're willing, I would de I'm definitely open to a collab with you. So putting it oh. out there <laughs> in the universe, hoping uh, you would agree to that. Uh, and, sure, uh, we should definitely do this. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Maybe not during the next uh, five weeks or so, but... <laughs> <laughs> no. And, and if, I, if I collab with someone, I appreciate if they can bring me like a bass line or a melody I can work with. That, and something that's good that, that they don't just give me like crap and then you make something nice out of it. So Yeah, cool. It, it, it needs to feel like a collab. What a cool moment in the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. We should definitely stay in touch about this. And what was your... Um, let's say the collaboration that where you had the impression oh this was really special i mean i learned a bit uh, i learned uh, such a lot from it or this was really a different style than i had thought in the beginning or is there a collaboration that really stuck to you so there are many collaborations that stick with me i work i work a lot with larry uh, larry miller aka embers mm -hmm. um, one that really stuck to me was a conversation i was having with sin street one of the guests on my show Uh, and uh, we are both our fathers passed away. So we were mm. talking about that for like a couple of hours. And after that, I wrote a remix to his track, which uh, was our collab. And that was just amazing. Mm. I just love that track. That sounds intense. Yeah, right. Uh, you're from the Netherlands and that's a country with a vivid music scene, I know. And I yes. know that especially in the 80s, there was quite a bunch of music in Dutch language that never made it much across the borders of your home country. And uh, would yes. you have a tip for us, if not only in Germany, but worldwide, which Dutch act from the 80s we should absolutely check out in Spotify because we might like the music, but we even if we don't understand the language. Now, I have a bunch of answers for you. I love this question. <laughs> did some research on it. Unfortunately, I found nothing in the 80s. So let's start in the 70s. Yeah. We have Golden Earring yeah, with sure. Radar Love. Ah, we all know this. Come on, Dutch language, guys. <laughs> so that's that's the first. Then we're going to hop over to the 90s because when I came to Holland, it was 89. I see. So my youth was in the States, but in Holland, it was in the 90s. So oh. two Unlimited mm -hmm. with No Limit. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, we had L.A. Style with James Brown is Dead. We had Neophyte, which was a Dutch hardstyle group. Mm -hmm. um, then more into the pop scene, we had Lois Lane with It's the First Time, uh, yeah. which was actually released in the 80s. It was 1989. And then we have Candy Dolfer, the saxophonist. Yeah, sure. <laughs> she, uh, she, she's really famous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if we go into today, we have Martin Garrix, who's a Dutch DJ. He has over 1.3 billion views on one track on Spotify. Oh, wow. We got DJ Chesto with 1 billion views uh, on Spotify with The Business. And then Armin van Buren, he has uh, 471 million views on blah, blah, blah. So it, 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 for some people, it's going downhill. Uh, I really, I really enjoy the the modern stuff, but uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of what we have to offer as Dutch people. And in the '80s, yeah, I wasn't here in the '80s. Yeah, well, I mean, it's amazing, right? I mean, it's it's a pretty small country, and uh, so much good music coming from there. And and good Formula One drivers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I must confess, Formula One is not quite my cup of tea. And uh, <laughs> well, if, you know Schumacher, if you right? Say, I believe you. <laughs> you know Schumacher, right? Yeah, He's like sure. champion for seven years. Of course, of course. I mean, that was uh, headline news in Germany, of course. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> But I mean, for today, I wouldn't even. I, I couldn't even tell you who's the world champion right now. Is it Hamilton? Mm -hmm. It's, no, it's Max Verstappen. Yeah, see, <laughs> the Dutch guy for the, right. for the third year in a row. <laughs> I confess that I didn't knew this, and uh, perhaps like ninety five percent of sports interested people know it. I didn't know it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Because I'm from Germany, please allow me to ask: Did our German language bands from the 80s play a role at all in the Netherlands? Perhaps this is the wrong question again, because you came to the Netherlands in the 90s. So not in the 80s, but I just went to a concert of Rammstein. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. And they had over 400 million plays on the track Du Hast, so they're up there. Yeah, yeah. I think they are the most popular band, uh, German language band at the moment, worldwide also. I think German language band, but uh, German, uh, the guy called Zed, he is. He grew up in Kaiserslautern, Germany. Yeah. And he has a track uh, called The Middle with 1.3 billion views on Spotify. Okay, so well. Hmm. He's pretty big and he's German. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, with Rammstein, I'm uh, sometimes a bit reluctant if they really represent the German picture that I would like to see yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah, I was hesitating to say it, but I just went to their concert. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible what's happening. <laughs> yeah. All, all my big idols are like falling from the sky. Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson, Bill Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, okay. So, how's the situation today in the Netherlands about the synthwave scene? Um, we all know a few guys who do successful synthwave from the Netherlands, but we mm -hmm. mostly are not aware about them. So, maybe you can tell some. So, I can tell you about the synthwave scene. Yeah. Now, I am attending the Master Boot Record concert in November. They do like uh, Amiga-based stuff and uh, like chip tune metal. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have Carpenter Brute and Perturbator uh, performing in uh, November. Mm -hmm. uh, Dance with the Dead performed last summer. So it's more metal-based things that are doing really well. And then, of course, our Dutch synthwave producer from Eindhoven, Time Cop 1983, yeah. is performing in the States these uh, next few months, oh, in wow. September mm -hmm. and October. And last year, I performed... In my hometown in October, and in December, I performed online for the Maverick Festival. Yeah, fantastic. How did you set it up? I'm also about to perform a live show, and I'm really wrapping my mind around this. <laughs> Are you talking about the one for next year? Yeah, in, absolutely. With the castle? Yeah, sure. Have you told people that on your show yet? You should actually tell them. Uh, no, not yet, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since we're talking about it now, I can also mention that I will be doing a live gig together with Katie Tisch next year, 3rd of August Yay. 2024, uh, in Befan, which is such a synth place because Brian Eno was there and worked with Cluster and Harmonia. And uh, the guy who is also there, Michael Rother, he was guitarist for Kraftwerk. All those people um, partly still live there in Befan. 
in the middle of nowhere. And we were invited to play this synth place. And I was absolutely shocked because I thought, all right, I'm doing this with 17 synthesizers in my studio. So how do I bring it on stage? What? So that's... <laughs> you have 17 synthesizers? Yes, at the moment it's 17, <laughs> right? <laughs> you should have... You should have come on the show with the synthesizers in the background instead of the CDs. Yeah, sure. But uh, here's the internet connection better. Oh, that's that's <laughs> I keep more my, important. I keep my studio PC really clean of stuff that doesn't need to be on this. So uh -huh. um, I'm always reluctant to go, I don't know, too much online and then webcams or whatever. I like yeah, to yeah. have this in office, but not in the mm -hmm. studio. So Katie Tish is coming to Germany for that performance, right? That's right. Yeah. Is it, is, will this be her first time in Europe? No, I don't think so. She has a Czech okay. background because that's her crazy last ah. name. And that's why she's pronounced Tish. And so um, she was in Europe before, but I think it will be her first time in Germany. Yeah. Ah. Hmm. But you just are turning around the interview. <laughs> I had to, we had to put that in there. That's amazing. I mean... I could have asked you 10 times more questions. <laughs> I'm holding myself back, man. I'm holding myself back. Yeah, I should definitely do a show about this. And I'm planning to invite Katie again for the Christmas show. And I think we will talk a lot about the gig and what we are planning to do and ah. so on. And we will reveal a few more things. And yeah, so, yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have just come to the point where I should start to ask you, the five quick questions with five short answers that every guest of this show has to cope with. This is the moment where the sweat is starting to pour out of the skin because those questions are usually the hardest part of the interviews. <laughs> so if you could only keep one synthesizer, I mean, it could be a hardware synth or VST, which one would it be and why? Uh so you said five quick questions and five short answers. Yeah, mostly, I've been listening to your show and most <laughs> a lot more <laughs> than never short, short answers, answers here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> See, we're already starting. Um, <laughs> but I will, I will give your short answer. It's a VST re Repro of five, and otherwise it would be my Uno Di because that's the only hardware I got. And I think we also uh, talked about why you would yeah. take this. So this was really it's a short key. answer, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, which band or musical project has impressed you the most in the last 12 months or alternatively in the last year? <laughs> so Root Time and Karina Rampage with the track Starlight. It, yeah. They, I mean, he has excellent producing skills combined with a beautiful voice. Uh, I really love that track. And each month I have a new love. So this September 2023, it's Room Time and Karina Rampage. But I'll have a new one next Synthwave podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh, put this just on my playlist and it's a stellar track. I loved yeah. it instantly. Yeah, really, really yes. nice. Yeah, cool. And uh, what would you like your fans to associate with you and your work? Heart, beat, hero, love, energy and kindness. Ah, that's nice. <laughs> and now probably the hardest question, what would you like your fans to associate a little less with you and your work? Yes, that I only create one genre. People that know me should know that I also do hard stuff, soft stuff, everything in between. Yeah, that is something that I realized you're super versatile and uh, that is definitely special. I would also say this, yeah. Absolutely. 
And do you think that people don't realize this, or curators, or whoever? Uh, it could be. It could be that they only heard a few tracks of mine, and they think everything's like that, and then that kind of puts them off when they when they go listen to the rest of my stuff. I so see. that that's, yeah. I think it's a bad thing they only expect one genre from me, and it's something I would like them to associate a little less with. <laughs> okay, and now the last question, and uh, <laughs> I have the impression that I already know the answer because every <laughs> guest in the last five episodes was was telling the same. What do you think will be the most important change in the music scene in the next five years? I actually don't think I have the same uh, answer, but oh. I think that AI is going to help music musicians in a way we can never imagine. So I'm really looking forward to that future. So, uh, okay. <laughs> when you say, I don't think anybody has said that on the show yet. No, that's right. But when you say it's about, uh, it's beyond imagination, how do you imagine this? <laughs> you can't. That's the whole thing. <laughs> I see. Okay. So you see AI <laughs> as something positive because there are quite a few people out there who say, ah, we don't know if we are still uh, needed as a musician or as a producer or as a mixer or whatever because AI will kill our jobs and so on. But you say it's generally something posit positive? For me, it will be positive because I like learning new things and AI is going to give us more possibilities like like VSTs are going to be more capable, the software is going to be faster, you can you can look up things quicker. It's just going to give more possibilities. That's That's the only way I see it. Okay, great. So thank you very much, Daniel, for being part of the show. And um, yeah, we should definitely have another um, chat at some time. And uh, I'm looking forward to do this collaboration with you. Great. My pleasure and looking forward to that collab. Yeah, thank you. And as always, at the very end, I allow myself a little touch of self-promotion. So now here's some music from yours truly, UAP. I have just released my new single, Don't Look, Set Me Free. And it's a song about something which perhaps we all feel from time to time. It's that time of the year where just everything at work seems to drive to overload. All the phone calls, all those hundreds of emails, it can really suck the power out of you. And so I thought, let's process this feeling in a song. And let's make the situation something that may connect with people who just feel the same. So here's... UAP with Don't Look, Set Me Free. Bye bye, hear you again in October. Fingers grasping through the wall, I stare through all blankets. Feels like X ray, oh, they know. No soft sound, they crank it. I feel there's no Set me free